Hey, if you enjoyed my episode on IEPs and you want to listen to more podcast episodes about IEPs, I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season, the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ertube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. You might have heard me talk about IEPs on my episode, and this latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I checked out these episodes, and I think that they are a great place for you to go after listening to mine. They go into a little more detail and answer a little more in depth about what an IEP is and whether your child needs one. So listen to Understood Explains by searching for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. Welcome to Struggle Care with your host, Casey Davis. We are the podcast that talks, we, who's we? Me, just me. I am the podcast that talks about self-care with self-compassion when life is hard. I have Heidi Smith, licensed professional counselor in the podcast studio with me today. Say hi, Heidi. Hello. And I recently was posting on TikTok about, it's kind of this little series I'm doing. It's called Games We Play. And it's about sort of psychological games, but the way that I say it, it's about disingenuous forms of communication. And there's been a lot of questions come up and things like that. And for those of you who don't know, Heidi used to be my supervisor when I was learning how to be a therapist. She has now become just my best friend. But I wanted to have her back on the podcast to talk about these games because you're actually who I learned the games from. And let me start with this. The reason why I referred to them as disingenuous forms of communication is because I feel like the word manipulation has like way too much baggage and has like a different definition depending on who you ask. Well, it's very villainizing. Exactly. It's like there is so much, you know, like evil intention behind the word to me. Yeah. It's just, whereas I think people are a lot of times just doing what they know to do and they're not really like, you know, on purpose manipulating in the traditional sense. Right. And because I had somebody ask me like, Because they asked, like, does manipulation always have to be intentional for it to count as manipulation? And that's why I brought up, like, I'm actually just specifically not going to call it manipulation because of that exact reason. And as someone who, like, when I was in rehab, we talked about manipulation a lot. And that was, like, a big, like, club I felt like they used where they'd be like, well, you're just manipulating right now. And it always became, like, a thought-terminating cliche. Like, we never investigated, like, why I was communicating in that way. It was always just like, you're being bad, knock it off. Yes. And I mean, it's, you know, we can, I won't go too far into this, but I actually run an addiction treatment program. And I run into that a lot. Even the staff will be like, well, so-and-so's just full of shit and he's just manipulating. And I really confront that a lot. I'm like, but like, why? I mean, he, so are you, is the theory, the working theory that he's just an evil human being? Or is this indicative of like what's deeper that we need to unpack with him of like how he does life? And I think it's like something people throw out there, you know, and it's so accusatory in nature. And like you said, it's like, well, then how do we help with this behavior you're noticing and you're calling it manipulation? But, you know, it's like a wholesale condemnation, you know, where people are just like, well, he's just manipulating. And it's like, it's not helpful. Uh, We're going to get into some of the various games and things, but. 
almost on that topic, I feel like there's a lot of things like that, that like become almost like, so for those of you who don't know, a thought stopping cliche, what that means is like a term or a concept that is literally meant to stop any further critical thought. So an example might be in the spiritual communities, like let go and let God, which is like, well, that ends the conversation. Like you can't really have any, what objection could you have to that? Like why could, you know, just let go and let God, you know, just trust God. Like that's a thought stopping cliche. And I feel like there are a lot of clinical thought stopping cliches and that's one of them. But the other one is like attention seeking. Oh yeah. He's just attention seeking. Yes. I can't stand. Yeah. They're, they're just attention seeking. But like why? Yeah. Also like, but like, it's okay to want attention. Like I heard somebody once, because I see that also in like parenting circles and teachers and things like, well, that's just attention seeking behavior. And so a lot of times they'll be like, well, just ignore it, just ignore it. But what's interesting to me is I heard a parenting coach one time say, if you instruct teachers to replace the word attention seeking with the word connection seeking, how does that change how you view that behavior and how you respond to that behavior? I love it. Because it would like, okay, there's connection seeking behavior and maybe they're doing it in a way that is self-destructive or they're doing it in a way that's actually like pushing people away. But then it makes you think like, okay, so our job is how do we meet that need for connection in a way that doesn't like further these unhelpful behaviors? How do we help this person go about a different way of seeking connection? Whereas when you call it like attention seeking, it makes it seem like, well, they have this like desire for more than they should have and they should just stop being entitled and they should just like heal and get over it. Well, yeah, like, I mean, again, in conclusion, like, you're just a piece of shit. I mean, it's kind of the, like, I mean, it's like, so in conclusion, like, they're just attention seeking. And so they just suck. I mean, it's like, I guess that's the end of the story. I mean, like you said, it's like, it's completely unhelpful. And ultimately, like, I think the goal, you know, of a lot of therapy, too, is to help a person see, like, what's working and what's not working. And so being able to say, like, hey, the way you act when you're seeking connection, like is actually off putting and it's getting you like the opposite result. And so like, let's try and figure out how you can like get your, the connection that you so desperately desire, like without creating the opposite effect for yourself. I think that's like the end goal of a lot of therapy is to look at like, this isn't good or bad or right or wrong. It's like, is it working for you? Is it like getting you the desired result out of your life? And like not villainizing the underlying need or even sometimes the behavior. Like I talk a lot about how, you know, finding out that I have ADHD later in life and looking back on a lot of my treatment and therapy experience and feeling like a lot of the things that I was told was just me being like entitled and selfish and self-absorbed was just me having ADHD, like me interrupting people a lot, me talking over people, me like talking too much. Like I could tell you what I'm thinking and feeling when I'm doing those sorts of things. And like, I was never thinking I'm more important than you. I'm smarter than you. I deserve more time than you. Like I'm always thinking this is such a great conversation. Oh my God, I have a thought. I don't want to forget my thought. I relate too. Yeah, exactly. And I really wish that more therapists would have said to me like, Hey, I noticed that you interrupt a lot. Like what's going on with you when you do that? And then believed me about my motives 
and was able to say like, okay, like it's okay that your brain works that way. And like, you'll find people and context where like, that's a way of communicating that is really welcomed. But like, you're literally using that behavior to seek connection and to participate in relationship. And for some people and in some contexts, that is going to have the opposite effect that you want. Yeah, exactly. It's like teaching you that that really isn't working for you and that you might need to like learn some kind of personal discipline in your communication style to like allow other people to, you know, I mean, that's like, we're almost like a little bit of behavior modification comes into it. It's like, Hey, there's this behavior. I keep getting feedback about it. I feel like misunderstood, but either way, I'm going to like adjust so that I'm not making people feel that way anymore. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the games. Okay. So the first game that I was talking about on my channel is the Trump card, which is like also known as like the ace of spades. Right. And so if people don't know what Trump card literally means, it's like when you're playing spades, there is a card that beats all other cards. And so it's called the Trump card. And so the Trump card is when somebody basically has like an issue or a trauma or an affliction or a circumstance that like they believe gives them like carte blanche to never have to change, never have to look at it. They believe it means that they can demand that everybody accommodate them and they don't have to accommodate anybody. And so like an example would be like, let's say that your partner like flies off the handle when they get angry and you like confront them about it. And you're like, Hey, like, it's not okay that you like punch walls when you're angry. It scares me. And they say like, well, I just, you know, I grew up in a really traumatic environment where no one ever listened to me. And so like when I get scared and I feel like no one's listening, like it just comes out. And it's like, that's an okay explanation. And that's fine to say that. But if they then keep doing the behavior and like refuse any opportunity to like learn to change the behavior or care about how it affects you. And they just keep saying like, well, you have to deal with it because that's my trauma. That's what Trump card means. Right. Sorry. Like this is just who I am and what I have to work with. And like, you just get to deal with it. I mean, the other, it can be even like done on a more minor level. Like, you know, like we always joked, I have a rare form of leukemia. I'm fine. But like, we always joke about me using the cancer card, you know, like if somebody would, you know, confront me on something, I'd be like, well, you know, I do have cancer. <laughs> And so it's like, it can be, you know, as small as, and even my son, you know, will use like his dog, you know, our dog died when he was like five. And I mean, at 11 years old, he's still, if he's in trouble, he'll be like, I'm just upset about Wilson. <laughs> and, and we're like, Hell yeah, like, we won't get to use that anymore. Like it's over. So, I mean, it can be obviously like these more global issues of like, Hey, I'm using you know, like, yes, trauma is very real. Like it's got to be addressed. You've got it. But again, like, you know, we've been talking about, it's like about figuring out like, you know, how to put that in its proper place and not always use it, you know, to like not grow yourself up. I've never met a free trial I didn't like or a budget I didn't listen to, which is why Rocket Money is perfect for me. And it might be perfect for you too. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month so I can clearly see my spending habits. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. And they send me emails keeping me updated with where I am on that budget. Rocket Money will even try and negotiate lower bills for you up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money 
takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users. They can find and cancel your unwanted subscriptions, and they have saved people over a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash struggle. That's rocketmoney.com slash struggle, rocketmoney.com slash struggle. Are you frustrated by buying your kids clothes and having them grow out of them within a week? Do they itch, pinch, and they just aren't comfortable? Well, then you need to check out Posh Peanut. Made from this amazing bamboo material, The clothes are legitimately so soft and they stretch with your kids as they grow. They are four times stretchier than cotton. Made to last, loved by parents, and approved by kids. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, beautiful and stylish clothing for kids and families designed in-house from beautiful florals to all of your favorite brands such as Hot Wheels, Disney, Hello Kitty, and Barbie. Their pieces are made with that ridiculously soft fabric and it even stays soft wash after wash after wash. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code STRUGGLE. Go to poshpeanut.com slash struggle and use promo code STRUGGLE for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com slash struggle, promo code STRUGGLE. I think it's really timely that like we started by talking about like the thought stopping cliches that clinicians and like the therapy world will use because sometimes I think that the trump card is like born out of a response to that. Like if I've been like beat down my whole like, you know, childhood about like you interrupt because you're selfish, you interrupt because of this, you interrupt because of that. And then I find out like, oh, like actually I have ADHD. And this is like one of the most common behavioral signs of ADHD. And it happens because like, if I don't talk, I'll forget what I'm saying. And I'm really excited. And my thoughts are moving so fast that I want to do this like overlapping style of communication. So sometimes born out of the trauma of me always being told that it's actually just that I'm a piece of shit, I will sort of swing to the trump card. Yeah. And be like, sorry, I have ADHD. Yeah, like I'm, you and I are talking and you come to me one day and you're like, hey, I just wanted to like express to you that I've noticed that you interrupt a lot when I'm talking and it makes me feel like you don't care what I have to say. And it makes me feel like, you know, I can't get a word in edgewise. And if my response to that is like, it's just because I have ADHD, like you shouldn't feel that way. And I just like refuse to consider your feelings. And I feel like, well, because that is from my ADHD, like you don't get to be upset about it. That would be me being the Trump card. And at the same time, like, I don't want to villainize the Trump card. Like, oh, anybody that uses the Trump card is just like a piece of shit manipulator that you should throw out the window. Like, I think that there's like a reason why we move to that sort of protective stance. Well, yeah. And I think it's all about, like you said, is like, is it just a, a shutting down technique where it's like, well, sorry, you know, I was in Iraq and I've got PTSD and this is just how I am versus like, you know what, babe? I know that I have a lot that comes up for me in like intense situations because of my experience overseas and like I'm working on it and, you know, you deserve better and I'm sorry and I'm going to keep trying to do better. You know, like that's a way where you can like say like, hey, I know where this is coming from, but like I also understand that it's not acceptable and I'm so, you know, so yeah, of course, like it's not that you don't get to have that be part of your story, 
you know, your truth and your experience and your trauma, but it's about whether you're using it to like, just tell everyone to shut the fuck up (laughs) or if you're using it to, you know, to be better and to grow towards something new and to grow yourself up and, and whatnot. Okay. So we're going to take a short break to hear from a sponsor and we'll come back and I have some follow-up questions. Okay. We're back with Heidi Smith. So I think what we've been talking about makes it really helpful to determine the difference between someone who is saying like, well, just deal with it. Like that's a really obvious Trump card. And then you have someone that kind of has that approach that you talked about, which is like, yeah, man, like mea culpa, this is where it came from, but you're right. Like I'm going to work to mitigate the damage of that behavior. But from that person, I think sometimes we, then we have another divergence, which is that sometimes we learn that that's the script we can use to like get someone to like get off our back but we don't actually have any intention. Absolutely. Then it's like, then it becomes your line. Yeah. Yeah. That becomes like your new Trump card almost. Like then it becomes- um, I'm working on it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm working on it. Oh, you're right, babe. And the truth is like, if we're going to go like really big example, like a lot of extremely abusive people- like physically abusive people and emotionally abusive people, like that is the line. Oh God, honey, I'm so sorry. You deserve better. You should just leave me on it. Like that's definitely, you can say that genuinely and you can say that in a way that is continuing to engage in disingenuous communication. Of course. Yeah. I mean, it's either placating. I mean, if you're, if it's just a placation, then there's nothing to it. You know, obviously there'd have to be like realness behind it. And so, yeah, I mean, the Trump card is like deep and complex (laughs) for sure. And, you know, it's but the nice thing is, I think it gives a some vocabulary to a behavior that a lot of people experience. And so even as a therapist, it's nice to be able to have that term where it's like if you can really educate your client or, you know, whoever your friend on this idea, then it's like it can become a part of kind of your working vocabulary of like, Oh man, I know I just used the Trump card. I'm sorry. Or, you know, and so that's what I love about these, like the kind of how you've coined the games we play. So the question that somebody asked was, what if they want to change their behavior, but genuinely do not know what steps to take to do so? And I think that's a good question. And I think sometimes I take for granted that as a therapist, I've just had a lot of experience in being able to recognize the difference between someone who is communicating genuinely when they say like, I'm going to change, it's going to be different. It's just going to take me some time. And someone who that's just become their new way to placate. Because the interesting thing that happens, especially when I make content about behaviors that are damaging is like, I'm usually talking to like the person on the other side, like, how can I recognize when I'm being taken advantage of? so that I can sort of either deal with that or get out from under it or stop getting sucked into these games. What happens is that somebody will always sort of speak up on the other end and they'll say, I am the person that like can't stop flying off the handle. And I want so badly not to, but like the trauma is so deep. And when I listen to you talk about this, like it scares me because I feel like I also deserve to be loved. Like I don't deserve to be just left because like this was my lot in life. Like because I happened to be the one that went through the most horrific circumstances that like I genuinely was left with so few skills that it's taking me so much longer than everybody else to like get to a place where my behaviors aren't damaging to others. And like, don't I also deserve love? Don't I also deserve connection? Don't I also deserve relationships? Like, don't I also deserve someone who will be patient with me and walk through this with me 
And I think that that is so valid. I don't know if you have thoughts on that. I mean, it's just so raw. It almost made me want to cry. You just, you know, talking about that because it's true. It's like, you know, again, it's easy to villainize, you know, people who have really objectionable behaviors, but you know, at the end of the day, like they're human beings who want to be loved and need to be loved. And um, so, yeah, it is. It's hard because on the one hand, I do so much coaching around boundaries, which is another thing you and me could talk about for probably three hours. But then on the other hand, it, it's like the person who continues with such objectionable behaviors really needs resources. They don't always just need like boundaries being, you know, enacted, you know, on them as much as they need support. And so, you know, therapy. So the interesting thing that happens there is so then like we begin to talk towards that person of like, you are deserving of love, like you deserve support and resources. And then what will happen is the person will speak up and go, this is how I got trapped in like a marriage, or this is how I got taken advantage of for 20 years. Because like, I just kept thinking, I know that they're hurting me, but like, they just deserve someone to walk through this with them. Like they just, you know, I should stick it out. Like I'd be such a bad person if I left them in their lowest moment. And it's interesting to try and have that conversation, knowing that both of those parties are listening. Yeah. And like at the end of the day, there's just a lot of sadness. And, you know, like when you're dealing with wounded people, which we all are, like we all, you know, have such woundedness in different ways in different areas and it looks different. But in those situations, like even the scenario where there's maybe a marriage and there's just a lot of sadness and things aren't always going to look, you know, the way that maybe the husband or the wife wants it to look. But I think there's a way to like separate with kindness, you know, when that's indicated that still supports and loves both individuals. So, but yeah, I mean, life's really messy. And when you add in all our woundedness and all our trauma and, you know, and trying to, you know, get all of our needs met and be kind and compassionate and, you know, and be empathetic to everybody's story. It's hard. And I think like, I like to try and come up with principles or guidance that can help someone sort of determine, okay, is this a scenario that I should stick with? Or is this a scenario that like is I should leave? And it's not that hard to do if you have like a specific person in front of you, but it's really challenging to come up with like universal concepts or guidance that can help people. I don't even think it's possible. But I do think that there's one like phrase and we have a friend named Angie that's also a therapist. And I don't know if Angie said this first or you said this first or who, but like there's this phrase that y'all used to use where you would say like, you shouldn't set yourself on fire to keep somebody else warm. Mm, that's definitely an Angie phrase. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like there comes this point where like, yes, everyone deserves love. And yes, like you know, people do like deserve someone to deserve connection and community, even if they have the more objectionable behaviors. But I think it's up to the person and definitely hard to do alone. Like maybe it takes therapy and friends and support and community to like recognize like, when is it a situation where like, I'm not going to leave someone just because it's inconvenient. I'm not going to leave just because it's hard. I'm not going to leave just because I want this easy life and I'm not willing to sacrifice. Where does it stop being that? and start being, I can no longer like be well, like this behavior is so damaging to me. Like I can't be a well person. I have stepped over the threshold of now, like I'm having to set myself on fire to keep this person warm. Like when you get in a scenario where you being like 
if I can't, this is like a personal boundary for me. I'm willing to love people through hard things. I'm willing to take like a certain amount of pushback and inconvenience and sacrifice and discomfort for somebody else. But it, I can only be in relationships where what I'm doing to help you doesn't damage me. Like we have to be well at the same time. We have to be like well in complementary ways. Yeah. Not happy, not easygoing, not like whatever. But like if the only way to do something for your benefit is to do something that damages me, like that's just an incompatible relationship. Yeah. I still remember where I was the first time it hit me. I maybe do have ADHD. And it's funny, I posted a TikTok the other day about having ADHD and a good friend of mine texted me and said, remember when you swore to me you didn't have ADHD? Oh, goodness. Well, listen, if you relate to that at any point in your life, I want to share a podcast that you should tune into. It's called ADHD Aha, hosted by Laura Key. It's candid stories from people who share the moment it clicked that they or someone they know has ADHD. In each episode, you'll hear heartfelt interviews about the unexpected emotional and even funny ways that ADHD symptoms can surface for adults. And it doesn't always look the way we thought it would. So check it out. To listen to ADHD AHA, search for ADHD AHA in your podcast app. That's ADHD AHA with AHA spelled A-H-A. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we're alive, a must read for anyone in medicine from a doctor turned patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include what makes a life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future no longer is a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean when you have a child to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and was named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. Well, I mean, I think not to like minimize it or globalize it, but I mean, I think like what you're talking about is kind of the crux of like, probably every person's decision going into a divorce. You know, I mean, it's like, I think everybody are ending a relationship. It's like this point at which- Yeah, cutting off your mom or- Right, like I want to fight for this. And I believe, you know, that there's intrinsic value in, you know, kind of taking myself on and, and even religious and spiritual reasons, right? Like, I believe that like God, you know, is, wants me to stay in this marriage and whatnot. But that like always like weighing- like at what point, like, is this no longer like something that's an option for me based on that I can compassionately, you know, take myself out of. And so, I mean, I think, and like you said, there's not a way to say, I mean, those are all so individual situations that that's why I wish everybody in the world could have like an amazing therapist, you know, I mean, to help like on a weekly basis, walk you through those boundaries and those even timelines, right? Like, Hey, I'm willing to stick. I'm willing to like, you know, he says he's going to get in therapy. I'm willing to wait a year and like see what happens. And, you know, and then that boundary setting, you know, which as I don't know if you've talked about this on the podcast, but the idea that like boundaries are about me and my behavior of like, you know, if you continue to punch holes in the wall, 
you know, like I'm unwilling to, to live in a home with you. And if you continue to punch holes in the wall, like I'm unwilling to be married to you or, you know, whatever that's going to look like and setting some timelines and personal boundaries around that. Like it's so individual and it's so important to have, I think, you know, like when possible professional helping guide you through that. And even if you can't professional help, I think like having a good community of friends, like I genuinely have like enough friends that I could like cue them in and like they can help me see that line of like, okay, this is the line where like this is now at a detriment to yourself. The other thing I think is interesting is like if there are children involved, sometimes it's easier to see that line where it's like, all right, this family member is like pretty problematic but like a relationship with their family member, that my children having a relationship with their family member is like still a greater good than like cutting them off or whatever. But we're always like keeping our ear to the ground for like, if this comes to a point where like my children are being damaged because of this behavior, like that's when like that's going to change. And sometimes it's almost more clear to see for our kids, but it's the same logic for ourselves. It's like, I'll sacrifice. I will be just uncomfortable. I will go to the ends of the earth for you. Like I'll go to hell for you, but I won't stay there. Right. I will go to hell for you, but only if we can walk out the back door together and who knows how long that takes and how long you give someone for that to take, but it's never about whether they are worth it. Everyone is worth it. It's about like, how long can you stay in hell before you burn up yourself? And then you're not taking anybody out with you. Yeah. And it's so interesting, you know, just to watch so many people I've interacted with over the years and where their tolerance levels are so different. You know, I mean, I have, you know, a handful of friends who have a very low tolerance level for like discomfort, you know, where it's like, Hey man, like, I'm not really enjoying this marriage, right? Like I'm going to move on, you know, like this just, I'm not having fun. I don't really like this. I don't like how you act. And like, you know, I'm going to go ahead and move on versus people who really will just go, you know, it's like they'll become, you know, basically willing hostages, you know, in a marriage and they're taught. So, you know, it's an interesting study almost just to kind of watch different people where there's some people who, man, it's like, I think you could have stuck it out for like a minute more (laughs) versus, you know, other people where you're like, dude, what are you doing? You know? And I mean, as someone who's married and I mean, I know you and me, have bounced off, you know, all kinds of issues we've had in our own marriages. You know, marriage is not for the faint hearted. I mean, it's hard. And I think also like philosophically kind of in just your philosophy of life and maybe your personal spiritual beliefs. It's like, I think that also matters too of like, what really are we doing with marriage? I mean, what relationships, but I guess I'm focusing on marriage right this minute is like, what is the point? You know what I mean? Am I in this just to be happy and be comfortable? Do I believe there's like a greater calling for this? Like that this is supposed to be kind of an iron sharpens iron and like through the discomfort of this and through like how our personalities are so opposite and we do things differently that like I'm getting to grow myself up in ways that I never could have done if I hadn't had this person in my life. Do I believe there's a higher spiritual calling to this relationship and all of that? It's like, I think that's why it's impossible to set some kind of like five step, you know, guide principles to, you know, to like, yeah, because, and then when am I telling myself all of those things to keep myself in a relationship that I absolutely should be exiting because I'm telling myself a good person would stay. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to sort of land the plane here, but I want, I didn't want to log off before discussing what I think is probably the most powerful insidious Trump card. 
that I think is the most difficult to deal with, which is the trump card of if you do X or if you don't do X, I will kill myself. Oh, gosh. I think that's probably like the ultimate trump card. And I like bizarre how many people I know that have had to deal with that, right? I'm just curious, like, can you give us any like parting thoughts? I mean, I know we could do like a whole episode on this, but like, I just didn't want to leave without talking about that trump card. I don't have like a beautifully curated response, but I definitely have some thoughts. I mean, I do think that people who do that, somebody who would say that to somebody that they love in a relationship have are very ill in some way, shape or form, whether it's a personality pathology or whether it's a true kind of clinical mental illness. I think it's incredibly unfair But also like, again, with that wholesale, I mean, you know, instead of using the word manipulative, I think it's indicative of somebody who's really unwell. And so, you know, it's so much deeper than just like the actual statement, I guess, you know, and so, you know, clinically too, it's like evaluating, like, is this something that is being said out of like desperation and fear or is there like a real suicidal ideation and this person needs to be like immediately rushed to you know the psych ward or is it anger and threat right is this just a you know like you said a trump card of of something that you know is gonna you know bend somebody's will towards mine but it's wow i mean there's just a lot of boundary setting and education that would need to happen for the individual who is being told that Yeah, the most powerful thing I think I've ever seen with boundaries was, you know, we have a friend who called his mom from the psych ward and said, if you don't come get me out of here, I'm going to kill myself. Like the moment they discharge me, I'm going to kill myself. And she said to him, and he doesn't mind me telling this story because he told it on a national documentary, but she said, Caleb, I love you. I have always loved you and I will always love you. But if you decide to do that, that will be your decision and not mine. Click. And because she recognized like, I'm in a place where like, if I go get him out of this psych ward, like I'm basically signing his death certificate anyways. And I mean, that's a unique situation, but that's always been like the most powerful example of boundaries was her being able to truly believe in her heart. Like I cannot control what you are going to do, but you know, that if you do do that, like that will be on you. Oh, and the other thing she said is she said, if you do that, I will be sad for the rest of my life. I will never get over it, but that will be your decision and not mine. And I've worked with so many different scenarios, right? Like, I mean, I work with chronic substance abuse and in a lot of scenarios like you're like this one, you know, where somebody has struggled for years and years and years. And yeah. And I mean, being able to separate and like know where you end and they begin and say like, you know, kind of stay on your side of the line this metaphorical line, we can talk about that on another podcast, (laughs) but stay on your side of the line and say like that, I hope you don't do that. But if you're telling me that to get me, you know, to do A, B, C, or D, like, you know, I'm still unwilling to give you money or I'm still unwilling to, you know, stay in the home with you or or whatever it is. I think being able to hold on to yourself in that, I mean, because that's, this is such a complex topic, you know, because at the end of the day, like, It's really about like the person who's being told a statement, like, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill myself. Like the order of the day really is for the other individual to be able to hold on to themselves. 
And like, that's a complex, you know, kind of idea of like, how do I hold on to myself in the presence of somebody who's sick, of somebody who is using trump cards, of somebody who is, you know, manipulating maybe in the traditional sense? How do I hold on to myself? Well, we'll get into that on another podcast, but I just wanted to thank you. And um, I hope you come back soon. Thank you. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.